0: And if you would, turn to, uh, let's see, Genesis 15. Genesis 15. Now, this is something that uh, me and Ashley were talking about uh, a week or two ago. And I was trying to explain it to her, and she was like, what are you talking about? So hopefully, I'll do a better job She's making another face. Oh, that wasn't in me. Um, So hopefully I'll do a better job. This sounds weird. Does that sound weird to y'all? I'm sorry, Charlie. Okay. All right. Uh, Let's see. This is the Abrahamic covenant. And um, it's kind of like when someone says, uh, we're going to do this, we're going to do that. I'm going to give you this. Uh, and then somebody will say, okay, sure, let's put it in writing. You know, let's put it down. If you really mean what you say, let's put it in writing. And that's pretty much what Abraham says to uh, God, because God promises him the land. So he says to God, he says, well, let's put it in writing. You know, uh, and so that's what God does for him, the Abrahamic covenant. And what we, we see play out in this uh, chapter is God's righteous sentence in in contrast to God's grace. So the idea is is that it was like Ken was saying this morning, we're evil. You know, and when he says that to me at first I jump, but then really it's the truth. So like and I I've even said this before myself like when you see bad things happen to little babies and all kinds of people, and we say, how can God do that? But the reality is is that it's deserving. Sin is what causes all the havoc, and it's really what we deserve, but it's only it's God's grace not only that saves us, but it's also God's grace that allows us to stand here and breathe right now. It's God's grace that averts a catastrophe on the way home that we aren't maimed and mangled every day. It's always God's grace uh, keeping from what we really deserve. And that's what happens here. Um, it doesn't exactly jump out at you, but hopefully I'll bring that out of this covenant. Because, you know, when God makes a, uh, this covenant with Abraham, how can God willingly bless mankind? How can he bless sinful man? when we deserve our just sentence. But how does he take that grace and pour it out on us, but at the same time, his judgment is still met? So God's divine judgment, his sentence, is there. Jessica, stay with me. (laughs) Is there, but at the same time, God's grace is there, and both of them are satisfied. So let's start with uh, verse 1. And uh, everybody knows who Abraham is, right? That's where the Jewish people come from. This is way before Moses. But this is after the flood. So, uh, right, Sam? Um, all right. Verse 1 says, After these events, the word of the Lord came to Abram in a vision. Do not be afraid, Abram. I am your shield. Your reward will be very great. And... Um, Right here from the get-go, you see God's grace in these words that he says to Abraham. He's inviting him in. He's saying, don't be afraid. Don't be scared. I'm going to protect you. So it, here's an extension of God's grace. So this is how this chapter starts. All right, now, what does Abraham say? But Abraham said, Lord God, what can you give me since I am childless, and the heir of my house is Elazar." ...of Damascus. Abraham continued... ...look, you have given me no offspring... ...so a slave born in my house will be my heir. Now, notice that God doesn't strike him with lightning... ...because he made a complaint. So he's not complaining about God, he's complaining to God. He's saying, hey, you've made these promises to me... ...where is it at? You know, where is it at? He he makes a complaint to God. So then God says... Instead of pouring out judgment on him, he gives him another promise. Now the word of the Lord came to him, This one will not be your heir. Instead, one who comes from your own body will be your heir. He took him outside and said, Look at the sky, count the stars, if you are able to count them. Then he said to him, Your offspring will be that numerous. Now what I want you to understand is, is a lot of people read this in the Bible and call this where God promises Abraham a spiritual seed. When he pointed up at the sky and said, look, count the stars, he's talking about you and me right here. And I want to take a second and explain that. If you go over to chapter 13, (laughs) go over to chapter 13, verse 14. And let's read uh, verses 14 and 15 together. After Lot had separated from him, the Lord said to Abram, Look from the place where you are. Look north, south, east, west. For I will give you and your offspring forever all the land that you see. I will make your offspring like the dust of the earth, so that if anyone could count the dust of the earth, then your offspring could be counted. Get up. Walk from one end of the land to the other, for I will give it to you. All right, so what I want you to point out is every time you see Israel in Scripture, they are connected with the earth. Their everlasting uh, inheritance is going to be the land in Israel for eternity. They're always connected with the earth, whereas the Christians are connected with the heavens. We're not promised the earthly blessing, but we're promised heavenly blessings. So if you go back to, let's see, verses 4 and 5, he promises him a spiritual seed. And we know Ephesians 1, 3, um, we are blessed with all spiritual blessings in the heavenlies. Then in Colossians 3, 1, he says, seek what is above where the Messiah is. So he's telling us to look up. And he's, promising, he's telling Abraham, you have a spiritual seed, and that's where we come in. Turn to Galatians chapter 3 real quick. And I think this is worth uh, taking an extra moment here to look at. Galatians 3, verse 6. Now Paul uses this scripture from Genesis to build justification by faith. He builds it all off of that from this scripture. He tells the Galatians, just as Abraham believed God and it was credited to him for righteousness, understand that those who have faith are Abraham's sons. So that includes us. We are Abraham's sons. And then if you notice also that he he puts a verse, he puts a, a sentence between the land and the offspring, whereas in the The one where in chapter 13, the land and the dust of the earth are connected together. But in this one, for some reason, he separates the two by a verse. And this is the verse Abraham believed the Lord, and he credited it to him for righteousness. This is one of the greatest, one of the greatest uh, verses in the whole Bible. Like I said, Paul uses this verse to build everything off of that. Justification by faith. And I'm, I want to take a moment and uh, discuss that just a little bit. Um, thank you. <laughs> uh, God literally puts righteousness on Abram's account. And so he is justified from that moment on. And justification is not a pardon. It's not clemency. It's not like you got off the hook. Justification is you standing before God as though you had never done anything wrong ever. That is justification. So when this scripture says that Abraham believed God and it was credited to him for righteousness, what God is doing right there is he's taking Abraham's bad stuff, and long before Jesus died on the cross, it's already put on Jesus then. So he's looking to where it's going to happen. So what happens on the cross is that God takes all of my bad stuff and he put it on Jesus, on his account. It's literally like a, a credit card. Then he takes all of Jesus' good stuff and he puts that on my account. So when I stand before God, God doesn't see Jesse Nichols' sin, Jesse Nichols' bad stuff, he doesn't see my good works. When he looks at me in heaven, he doesn't see the good that I've done. You know what he sees? Jesus' righteousness. He sees Jesus' righteousness. That's why the Bible talks about it being like a garment, that the, the uh, righteousness of Christ is like a garment that you put on. So when you stand before heaven in, before God in heaven, he's going to see you as though you would never done anything wrong. Um, the scripture says he made us he made him to be sin for us who knew no sin that we might be made the righteousness of God in him. And Paul starts it all off right here with this scripture. And it um so if we're moving right along, all right, verse 7 he says, He also said to him, I am the Lord who brought you from Ur of the Chaldeans to give you the land to possess. And then Abram says, But All right, so he believes him when he gave him a promise. Now he moves on. He says, but he said, Lord God, how can I know that I will possess it? And and I looked up the, the Hebrew word, and it actually means to ascertain by sight, to actually see it. He wants a sign. Now, the Jews, Jesus rebuked the Jews in the New Testament for asking for a sign, but they didn't believe him in the first place. But see, Abraham, he believes but he's asking for something more. He, he wants something to um, help his confidence. And sometimes we need the same thing. We need a little help. And that's why we have God's word. And Abraham didn't have that at that time. So he asked for a little bit more. Now, this is where it gets interesting. In the Old Testament, all right, let's go on. Hold on. Let's go to verse 9. He said to him, bring me three, a three-year-old cow, a three-year-old female goat, a three-year-old ram, and a turtle dove, So he brought all of these to him, split them down the middle, and laid the pieces opposite of each other. But he did not cut the birds. And birds of prey came down on the carcasses, but Abram drove them away. What in the world is he doing? Why would God tell Abraham to split these carcasses lay them in a line? So I'm going to back away for a second. So it would be like separated. You got One half of the animal, one half, one half, one half the two birds, okay? So there's like something you can pass through the middle, all right? This is how they made covenants back then, okay? They didn't sign the document, but the two parties, either they walked through it, or they actually met in the middle, one or the other, but that's how they made or ratified the covenant was they met between the pieces and that was as good as signing it. Okay? So you see what's happening. God is going to give him a visual aid to help him have confidence that his descendants will inherit the land of Canaan. All right? It gets better. All right? So then what happens? Look at verse uh, 12. As the sun was sitting... A deep sleep fell on Abram, and suddenly a terror and great darkness descended on him. Now, I'm going to give you, this is my interpretation of it. What has changed? From verse 1, God is saying, I'm your shield. I'm here for you, Abraham. I, you know, I'm going to give you a great reward. But now, all of a sudden, when God comes in his presence, he feels terror. He feels something Something has happened. Something has changed from what's before to now. My opinion is, is that if God does not veil his glory, God in all these times where you see God talking to Moses, God talking to his, they are not seeing all of God. They're just seeing a little piece of it. Think about this. When those um those priests would go before the altar and a couple of them were where they didn't do the right things before the altar. And it says that the glory of the Lord struck out and burned them up immediately. That is what happens to man in his sinful state. So when we as men in our sinful body, if we were to see God as he was, we would fall down in terror and beg for help. Because we can't stand before God. That's why you need Jesus' righteousness. Because you're not going to be able to enjoy heaven if, you're, if you don't have a code of, of righteousness on. So when God, I think what happens is, is that God shows up here. And, and Abram is not able to stand in front of him. Um, so, let's see, where are we going with this? <laughs> Somebody laugh or something? <laughs> All right, so God comes down and he shows up, and the fear falls on Abram. And then the next thing that happens is is he gives him a prophecy. Then the Lord said to Abram, know this for certain, your offspring will be strangers in a land that does not belong to them. They will be enslaved and oppressed for 400 years. However, I will judge the nation they serve, and afterwards they will go out with many possessions. But you will go to your fathers in peace and be buried at a ripe old age, and in the fourth generation they will return, for the iniquity of the Amorites has not yet reached its full measure. So here's the question. How can God give this land to Israel? How can God be righteous by pushing out the Amorites and the Hetes, the Pergesites, the Jebusites, the Hittites, and all of them? How is God who judges them, drives them out, then he 's going to bring Israel in who He already knows is going to do stuff just as bad and what and really it 's even worse because they knew better? they knew better to do them things. How can God be justified in doing that and Kicking these one group out and bringing in the other. I'm gonna tell you right now, it all depends on Jesus. Them inheriting this land depended on Jesus. That is the only way that we that they could inherit it is by looking to the cross. Um, let's see. Let's look at Romans four sixteen. If you got a second, turn to Romans 4.16. God had to make this covenant by grace. If he didn't make it by grace, then they would have never inherited it. Just as the same thing with our, with our uh, inheriting eternal life. If God didn't make it by grace, then none of us would have ever got it. this is why the promise is by faith, so that it may be according to grace to guarantee it to all the descendants. Not only to those who are of the law, but also to those who are of Abraham's faith. He is the father of us all in God's sight. As it is written, I have made you the father of many nations. So, God had, Paul is saying he had to do it by grace or else they would never inherit it. Same thing with us. We would never inherit eternal life. It, everything depends on Jesus. Jesus was that seed when, Abraham, when God told Abraham, through you all the nations of the earth will be blessed, all rested. That's why he makes it so particular that he says it's not going to be by Lot. It's not going to be by uh, your, um, your slave's heir. It's not going to be by Ishmael. It's going to be by Isaac. He was the promised one. And you can bank on it. When God makes a promise, that's the way it's going to be. Alright, so we still haven't got to the covenant. They haven't ratified it yet. Now the strangest thing happens after that. When the sun had set and it was dark, this is uh, verse 17 of chapter 15, a smoking fire pot and a flaming torch appeared and passed... Between Between the divided pieces, did you catch that? Abraham's name is not in there. Abraham did not pass between the pieces. Who did God make the covenant with then? Who who it's who passes between the pieces is the one that has to keep their promise. It was God. So what you have is is you have God's righteous sentence, God's judgment, His wrath. Somebody is going to pay for it. Somebody has to pay. But at the same time, you have God's grace who wants to extend it to man. He wants to give Abraham this land. He wants to give us eternal life. But He knows if it depends on us, it ain't never going to happen. No flesh will be justified by the works of the law. None. He knows it can't happen. Therefore, God met himself in the middle of those pieces. God made the covenant with himself. Therefore, he makes the uh, promise by grace. Let's see. Let's go back here. Justification is by grace through faith. He made the promise by grace so that we could have it. Because if it depended on us, it's never going to happen. The fire pot. If you look at... um, Moses calls the children of Israel being in Egypt a, a great iron furnace. Um, when we read in the Book of Revelation where he pours out the bold judgments, see, look, it's working. They already coming to the altar. <laughs> when God is pouring out the bold judgment, what does it say? It says the temple filled with smoke that nobody could enter. He is pouring out his wrath on the earth. But then on the other side, you have a flaming torch, something peaceful. Let's look at Isaiah 62, real quick. And I think this will help explain what that torch is. And, and in my opinion, the torch is a symbol of God's grace. He wants to extend it to us. Isaiah. I didn't mark this one. Matthew, Mark, Luke, Isaiah anybody listening (laughs) 62 uh, 1 excuse me Isaiah 62 1 I will not keep silent because of Zion and I will not keep still because of Jerusalem until her righteousness shines like a bright light and her salvation like a flaming torch so the idea man you are quick with that I don't even I just read it off of there To our righteousness goes forth as brightness and our salvation as a lamp. So some translations will say lamp. My translation says a burning torch. In both cases, it's the same word. So you see that this lamp is connected with righteousness, with salvation. So you have God's grace meeting God's wrath. And what better picture of the cross? There is not a better picture of the cross where God's wrath is satisfied. For eternity. And at the same time. God's grace is satisfied. For eternity. He made the promise by grace through faith. So all you have to do is believe. And that grace is extended to you. In the same process. So not only does it pertain to us. As Christians. We receive salvation through grace. It even extends to the Jews. In receiving the land. They needed that grace to be poured out. So that they can receive it. All right, here's the last little tidbit. Uh, Look at verse 18. He says, uh, let's see. On that day, the Lord made a covenant with Abraham saying, I give this land to you and your offspring. And then he names from the brook of Egypt to the Euphrates River, which, by the way, they haven't gotten all of that yet. But one day they will. Um, to the land of the Kenites, the Kergesites, the Canaanites, the Hittites, Pergesites, the Raphim, Amorites, Canaanites, Gergesites, and Jebusites. But look at verse 18. He says, on that day, the Lord made a covenant with Abraham. I give this land to you and your offspring. It's done. If you go back to 1315, the one we read earlier. Verses thir- uh, chapter thirteen, verse fifteen. For I will give you and your offspring. But now he's made the covenant with him, and he says, "I give." So it, the will—it's not—it's as good as done. And the only way that that could happen is if it depended on God. And that's where Paul builds all of you know grace through faith that not of yourselves it is a gift of God, not of works. He starts it with uh, the forefather Abraham where he says it was credited to him for righteousness. He believed God and it was credited to him for righteousness. Thank you.